Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. I hope your summer has been uh, exciting as mine has. I feel like I haven't even stepped foot in here for the last month and a half because of all the camps and retreats and, and a couple vacations as well, which is really cool. So I am glad to be back. My name is Doug, and uh, I'm the director of student ministries and one of the pastors on staff here. Um, I want to welcome you this morning. I am excited. I hope you are excited both for getting into God's word and from, for eating some delicious food out from those food trucks. I love food trucks. I don't know about you, but I really do. So we are going to be in a really interesting verse, and I, I hope you guys are ready. So what's funny is originally I was like, you know what, a verse that really stands out to me, something that's really close to my heart, something I memorized as a kid with my dad, a verse I really want to get into. I want to talk about Psalm 1. And then I found out Pastor Matthew had already picked that one. So we are not going to be doing Psalm 1. We're going to do another verse. But I was, then I was thinking through, okay, well, what, what is it? What's another, you know, I kind of had, had really set my mind on it and then waited really long to tell anybody. So that was on me. That was totally on me, not Matthew. He, was, he did what he was supposed to. Um, but I was thinking through it. Okay, what is a verse that is really impactful to me? And there are several. Obviously, there are a lot of verses, but I was trying to think through what's a verse that really has, has had an impact throughout my life and especially from when I was young all the way to now. Um, and I don't know about you, but when I think of verses that are really impactful, that really are uplifting and, and draw me closer to God, I think of Ecclesiastes. I don't know if you guys know this, but there's called a book called Ecclesiastes in the Bible. Okay, so I'm not picking something out of thin air. Yes, Ecclesiastes. Now, I, here's the thing. Ecclesiastes is not known for being super encouraging. Um, in fact, it, it has, is pretty well known for being the exact opposite. But I want to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 18. So if you've got your Bible, we're not going to read it quite yet. I'm going to kind of give a little introduction first, but that's where we're going to be. Chapter 5, verse 18. And for those of you who are doing small groups, um, life groups together, uh, I apologize. When you get your little uh, info on that, it's going to say chapter 6, verse 18, because I, I hit the wrong key when I was pushing the button and sent it off. And uh, so just know it's chapter 5, verse 18 is where we're going to be at. But I want to give a little introduction of um, Ecclesiastes. So just so you know, Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, we got a, uh, a little list of the books of the Bible here. So it's after Psalms. It's, here's, an, here's a fun thing. I don't know if you've ever learned this. When I was a kid, we learned this, that if you want to know, if you want to try to find, let's say Psalms, Psalms is about in the middle of the Bible. Just take your Bible, split it in half, and you'll probably get pretty close to Psalms. You might even hit it, um, unless you have a lot of like appendices in the back and stuff like that. But uh, it's just a little bit after Psalms, and it's a book written by King Solomon. Now, in order to understand this, we need to understand who King Solomon is. So to understand Ecclesiastes, King Solomon was the son of David. Now, David was, is considered the greatest king of Israel, right? He was, he was the, the conqueror. He's the, the guy who, um, who really helped to found the borders of Israel. Um, he defeated all of the, the enemies on all sides. And then when he handed the kingdom off to Solomon, he basically was like, here you go. It's all ready for you. And the people are, will follow you. God had made his promise through David saying, hey, you know, it's your line that I'm going to work through in Israel. And so Solomon, in order to, as Solomon gets up there, he's ready to go. But the thing is, he has God's people. He understood this. And so he, what he did is he said, you know, I need to go to God. In order to be able to lead God's people, I need to seek after God. And so he did, and he prayed to God. And God came to him and said, hey, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. You can ask anything, 
and I will give it to you because you are the son of my servant David and because you have, you have come to me in humility seeking to, to, fall, to lead the people. And so he says, okay, yeah, anything, anything. And you, know, you can imagine, if you were told by God, I will give you anything you want. And we talk a lot about how God is not a genie, right? He's not. This is not, this is not the normal way that God operates. But God said, this is the one person that God said to Solomon, pick something. It's yours. And Solomon said, I want a big boat. No, he's, yeah, he said wisdom, right? Yeah, <laughs> he said wisdom. And God honored him through that. He said, you know, you could have picked riches, you could have picked power, but because you chose wisdom, you will receive all of these things as well, which is a great thing, really cool. And so he has this immense amount of wisdom. It says, in fact, it says, the Bible says that he was the wisest person to ever have lived. And he became a very powerful, powerful person because of this. And people came from across the globe in order to hear his wisdom. And so we have the book of Proverbs largely because of Solomon. He wrote the large majority of it. And we have several books, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Now, we are going to be in Ecclesiastes, obviously. And Ecclesiastes is one of those that gets overlooked a lot, partially because the message is a little bit difficult when you first read it. Um, and I, I want to give you a little bit of an understanding of wh- what he was getting at here, okay? Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes to help us understand, uh, to help us understand the purpose of life. That's really what it's about. Um, but... What did he get to? Well, Solomon, Solomon tried a lot of things. And if you read this, it's a really interesting book because he says, I, I tried all these different things and I, you know, I, I tried wealth, I tried pleasure, I tried uh, seeking after wisdom, I tried all of these different things to make myself happy, to find fulfillment and purpose in my life. I tried it all. Guys, here's the answer that I came to. You want to know what I dis- discovered? It's all meaningless. Every last bit of it. I couldn't find a single thing that actually gave my life any meaning. And uh, I put together, I don't know if you guys like memes. I love memes, okay? And I share these regularly with my friends and my family. If, uh, if I've shared a meme with you, know that it's, it's, it's a sign of love and affection, okay? So I'm going to share, because I love all of you, I'm going to share a little meme that I put together here, okay? And it's, uh, if you've ever seen Parks and Rec, it's, this is basically what King Solomon gets to. He's like, yes, it's, I'm fine. It's just that life is pointless and nothing matters and I'm always tired. That's kind of what, what King Solomon is getting to here. He's like, it's, it's all pointless. None of it, none of it max, makes any sense. Now, I made also a graphic for you, and I don't know uh, if you have a spot on your wall, but I made this really cool picture right here for you too. Uh, Ecclesiastes 1-2 starts with this. Everything is meaningless. And uh, I'm going to be selling prints of this, so you can set it on your wall or, you know, a little countertop thing. You can sh- uh, probably postcards too, so you can send it to your, you know, your, your most beloved you know, just be like, darling, I want you to know. It's all meaningless. And then she'll be like, we need to talk, okay? <laughs> but it's all meaningless. That's what he kind of gets to. It, it's meaningless. I couldn't figure out a single thing. I couldn't wisdom, knowledge, understanding, uh, wealth, 
prosperity. Remember, this is the richest king that Israel ever had. He had, his borders were secure. People were giving him stuff left and right. Every country brought in gifts, and they brought gifts in order that they, they might try to give him some honor because of all the wisdom that he had, and then they'd sit at his feet and listen, and it was amazing. And, and he had all of this wealth, all of this pleasure, all of the, everything. It says that he had a thousand wives and concubines. Like, he, he had no limit to what he had. And yet, and yet, his answer was, it's all meaningless. Now, why? Why was it all meaningless? And, and here's what we need to get to about this, okay? This is what he kind of realized. With the pleasure, with great accomplishment, folly, wisdom, his conclusion, it's meaningless. Why? Because everyone still has struggles, Nobody gets away from that. It doesn't matter if you're the wealthiest person on earth or you're the poorest person on earth. You still have struggles. If you're poor, your struggles are that you don't have enough money. If you're wealthy, your, your struggles are everybody wants my money or I want to keep getting more money. You know, if you're healthy, well, that sounds great. I, I'm healthy, but then you see the struggles of the plight of the people around you who aren't, right? And you want to help them, but you don't really know how. Or if you do know how, it's just, it's, you always can't always help them. And if you aren't healthy, well, then you're the one who is struggling and everybody feels bad for you. If you're, it doesn't matter where you are. You have struggles, every person. And, and oftentimes we think, oh, you know, the people who are on the top or whatever, they don't have any struggles. Trust me, they do. They do. They may not be the same as yours and mine, and their struggles may be less foundational to life itself, but they do have their own struggles they deal with, and one of them is understanding the meaning of life. Also, everyone still dies. I don't know if you guys know that. Um, Solomon was watching, and he observed people, and he said, you know what? This guy had it all to get put together. He did great things, and then he died. This one uh, had a lot of money, and then he died. This one had nothing, and he died. I, I couldn't find a single one who got away from it. Guess what? Nothing that they did they could carry with them beyond the grave. Not a single bit of it. They left all their wealth, all of their friendships, everything that got left behind. So what's the point? It's, it's meaningless, right? And then the last point is a reiteration of the first two, that there's nothing you can do to stop these two things, right? And it doesn't matter how great your physician is, your health will deteriorate and you will pass away someday. It doesn't matter how secure you feel that your finances are, at some point they're gonna be, they're, they're gonna be shaken a little bit. It doesn't matter how great your relationships are, at some point you're gonna argue and you're gonna get frustrated with them. It, it all, there's struggles throughout life and that's what Solomon gets to, is there's struggle after struggle after struggle and it doesn't matter who you are or how much you have or anything, you will deal with it and then you'll die. And this is Ecclesiastes, guys. And I really wanna encourage you with this today it's a wonderful passage. I know, it sounds rough, but here's the thing. Ecclesiastes, if you've read through Ecclesiastes, you know that there are glimmers of hope in it. Well, yes, Solomon is talking about how life is meaningless. There's a way that he, he understands it and the context that he puts it in. Because there are limits to what we have on earth. There are limits to what we can do that creates a certain amount of limitation to our purpose of what we can create on our own. But the answer is there in that just a little bit. Now, I want to read this, this um, verse together. So chapter 5, verse 18, and hopefully this gives you a little bit of an understanding of where we're going with this, how this can be encouraging. So if you've got that open, would you stand with us? It's, a, it's not a super long verse. It's only one. 
So here's what it says. This is what I ob- observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. You may be seated. And you notice that he starts out, this is something I've observed to be good. This is a, this is a, a good thing. And then he talks about what? He talks about eating food, drinking of the cup, and enjoying your work. Now, I will say at first glance, if we pull this straight out of context, this actually seems a little bit like prosperity theology. This sounds like, hey, go and uh, make as much money as you can because you're going to die tomorrow, so you might as well live it up, all right? It sounds like prosperity. It sounds like indulgence. That's not what he's getting at here. You have to understand where he's coming from in all of this. It's not a place of saying, hey, prosperity and indulgence is a good thing. In fact, this passage comes right after a whole part where he talked about how wealth itself is meaningless. Chapter 5 is all about that. So that's not what he's talking about. So what, is it, what exactly is he talking about here? Well, we do need to know that, first off, this particular type of passage, the, the way that it phrases this, is actually repeated three times in the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you studied Scripture very much, you know that anything that's repeated is emphasized. That's what they're trying to get at, okay? And so the answer to Ecclesiastes is in these verses, but we have to understand them. Now, after each one, okay, so after, this is the one that after it talks about riches, after he talks about toil in verse 2, or in other words, work, uh, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. Right? And then after he talks about even righteousness, we, we think about being a good person. And hey, there's got to be some meaning in that. And even folks who don't know Christ think that that's where meaning is found in life. Well, if you're just really kind to other people, if you make your life about other people, then you'll find meaning. Well, here's what, here's what Solomon says. He talks about how righteousness itself is meaningless. So I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of life that God has given them under the sun. He also likes that phrase, under the sun, too. If you've ever heard the the phrase, there's nothing new under the sun, that's Solomon. He said that, okay? He talks about how it doesn't matter righteousness, no. Toil, mm mm-mm. You know what? Wealth, no. These are not things that will satisfy So enjoy what you eat, enjoy what you drink, and enjoy the toil that God has given you. Now, I think one of the the biggest challenges that we have is that we try to read a lot of our own meaning into this. We we try to take it in the context that we understand instead of taking it in the context of what uh, Solomon is talking about. So here's the obvious context, okay? First is that God has allotted you only so many days. That's the truth. We already talked about that. Each person in here, nobody gets out alive. Okay, not here. Okay, sorry. I phrased that really weird. You're, you're going to survive. Don't worry. <laughs> Nobody gets out of this life alive, I should have said. That's how it works, right? That's the way that because death has entered the world through sin, it, we physically will die. So God has given you a certain number of days, and you've heard the phrase, your days are numbered. Well, they're numbered by God himself. He knows when that's going to end. He knows where that timeline will be. So we should appreciate, first off, what God has given us in the days that we have. In other words, don't squander them. Don't wait. And he talks a little bit about that, about the person who gathers wealth until the end of their life and ultimately never uses it for anything, who just hoards it. 
He says, that's, that's meaningless. Why would you do that? This is a, kind of an answer to that in some ways of, no, God has given you that. That's a blessing. Appreciate what God has given you. Also, he talks a lot about how fools will end up wasting what they, excuse me, what they have. Um, this is a big deal. Solomon loves talking about the fool because he loves comparing it to the wise person. And the fool is the person who's going to squander what they have. So first off, appreciate what you have. And then secondly, don't squander it. Don't be the fool. Now, those are the easy, the obvious context to what we're talking about. Now here's the challenging, the really challenging ones. First one is that life is not self-defining. Now that's a very philosophical sounding statement, but if you think about it, it makes sense. In other words, while there is purpose to life, there is no inherent meaning from life. As in, life does not define its own meaning. You don't get to pick the meaning of your life. Why? Because you didn't make it. You didn't create your life. So how can you assign meaning to it? The person who assigns meaning is the one who creates it. Think about, about anything that you've ever used before. Right? The, think about a car. You probably drove here in a car. Maybe you drove in, rode in somebody else's car or a bus. I don't know. Regardless, you've seen a car before. What meaning does it have? Did you assign the meaning to it? Did you say, you know what? I suddenly discovered this thing, and I'm going to define what it is, what it means. No. It's been defined by the automakers, and they fall under the, the authority of the government as far as what they can build that, that is defined as a, an automobile, right? It's not defined by you. You, didn't, you don't get to pick that. Now, you can define how you want to use it, but you don't get to define its purpose. Only the maker gets to define its purpose. Ultimately, it's the same way for us. Life itself does not define its own meaning. It's not, it is not self-defining. And we have to understand that. A lot of people think that you can. You can just pick a meaning out of the sky. Just, you know what? My, my whole life's meaning is going to be about saving animals. Well, that's cool, but you don't get to pick. I mean, you can, but ultimately you're going to miss out on your actual meaning. That's like saying, well, this car's whole purpose is going to be for living in. Cool. That's not what cars are for. Okay? Oh, this car's whole purpose is going to be a boat. I'm going to drive it out into the lake. That's cool. Probably not going to work well, right? It doesn't matter because ultimately the meaning is defined by the maker. Along with that, here's another challenging one. Even good things can be meaningless. This is very challenging. Satisfaction is fleeting. Work, pleasure, wealth, relationships, all of these things are fleeting. Again, death, nobody escapes death. All of those things must be left behind at some point. So they are fleeting, at least on some level. Justice, even, Solomon talks about, is corrupted by evil men. A life lived for others still ends in death, and even wisdom itself brings illumination to the pain around us. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 1.8, he talks about how he is the wise teacher and how he's bringing this this wisdom to the people. And then this is what he says about wisdom. He says, for with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. That's Solomon, wisest man ever, says, you know what? Wisdom brings you a whole lot of pain. That's what you're going to get with wisdom. That's what you seek, right? And we understand this. If, you, if you've seen a person who has a lot of knowledge, oftentimes they are weighed down by the struggles of the world, the pain around them, they see it. You can perceive it, but you can't really do a whole lot about it. What does this tell us? It 
tells us that even the good things, wisdom we would all agree is a good thing, but it can still be meaningless. The, some of the best things that we have, the good things in life can be meaningless. So how do we fix this? Where do we find the meaning in life? Well, yeah, we find it in God. And Solomon states this, right? He states that right at the end of that passage, he talks about it. He says, then I realize this is a good thing, proper for a man to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days that God has given him, for this is his lot. Who gave him this lot? God gave it to him. Who gave him this purpose? God gave it to him. So what does it all mean? Well, we're going to get into three things, three responses to this. And we're actually going to take them from the tail end and work backwards just a little bit. So the first things, the first thing that he talks, or the last thing that he mentions is he says, eat and enjoy, drink and enjoy, find satisfaction in your toilsome labor. We're going to talk about that. And that is honor God with your work. God defines our purpose. We don't get to pick. We can try, but ultimately God defines our purpose. And if he defines our purpose, then he should also be defining our work. And that means we need to honor God in our work. Here's the thing. A lot of people think that, that work is, is a part of the curse, right? You've, I'm sure you've heard this before, that life was great in the garden. It was all easy, no big deal, kicking back, relaxing. And then Adam and Eve sinned and God gave them work. And now we have to work because Adam and Eve sinned. No, that's not true. Did you know that? Did you know that Adam and Eve were working in the garden? What God cursed the Adam with was thorns and weeds and briars and that he would have to eat of his own sweat the rest of his life, right? In fact, I used to, I know we have them here, but I used to live down in southern Idaho and there was a certain plant that was everywhere, all over the place. We called them goat heads. I know they've got a couple other names, but if you've ever, if you've ever seen a goat head, um, you know that there is evil in the world because these things are evil. If you've ever stepped on a goat head, you've experienced evil, okay? They are, they, even if you look at them, they're shaped like a goat, which oftentimes is a symbol for Satan. I think the coincidence, probably not. But if you step on them, they are super painful because it's not just a sharp pokey. It also, for some reason, has something in it that makes it extra painful. Like Legos have nothing on goat heads when it comes to pain. And I mean this. If you've never stepped on a goat head, you need to, just to experience it and truly know not only what I'm talking about, but to know the depths of depravity that Adam must have reached in order to bring this curse upon us, okay? And uh, it was said down there that they always talked about how goat heads themselves are the curse of Adam. That's what it is. God is like, God's like, okay, well, you get goat heads now. <laughs> have fun with that. But work is not the curse. Adam and Eve, they were working the garden beforehand, right? So work, rather, on the other hand, is a blessing from God. And we need, we need to recognize this. You should not be trying to escape work. In fact, nobody really, really tries to escape work. We oftentimes will come up with work. If you've got extra time, well, some people sit around. But a lot of people, they say, you know what I need? I need a, a hobby. What's a hobby? A hobby is work that you decided that you wanted to do. That's all that it is. My mom has a great hobby. She, she loves to sew. And I will tell you, she's gotten really good at sewing. And guess how she got really good at it? She worked at it. 
that's how it happens, right? Anybody who spends any time doing anything that they enjoy doing, they're working at it. They're getting better at it. Maybe it's you love playing guitar. Well, guess what? As you try to get better at it, you are working, right? So whether it's in our leisure or whether it's for our money to make so that we can survive, we are working. God gave us that desire to work. He created us with that and with a need for work. Does that mean we always use it well? No. And that's why we need to look to this and say, we need to honor God with our work, right? Work is good, but work for work's sake is meaningless. Again, life is not self-defining. Work cannot define the purpose of the work. Instead, we work for God. Colossians 3, 23 through 24 says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. And you need to understand that this was written to slaves. That particular passage was written to slaves. If you, if you back up in the, the verses just a little bit, he talks, he's saying, slaves, obey your masters. And here's why. Because any work that you do is, as a Christian, as a servant of the Lord, you are working for God, not for these, these human masters. Now, if... If even a slave in serving their master can work for the Lord, then us who are free can do likewise in whatever job we are in. And I can say that so long as I am not straight up sinning because of the work that I'm doing, right? There is some work that is not good if it is, you know, if, if it's uh, cheating somebody out of money or if my work says that I need to do something unethical. Well, yeah, that would be sinful. But outside of that, so long as you are working Work for the Lord. Work for the one who created you because he defines your purpose. Now, the next part is one of the greatest joys in life is a hard day's work. And I don't, I'm, I'm sure many of you already know this. I love working really hard, getting to the end of the day and just plopping down in bed. I love sitting back and relaxing at the end of the day. Why? Because it's fulfilling. I mean, this, this is not something that is bad. Work is wonderful. It really is. Sometimes work is hard. I'm not going to lie. But completing your work at the end of the day and going home and resting and enjoying and relishing in that, t- that hard work that you put in, it's one of the greatest blessings God's ever given you. I think that's why he gave us sunsets. Right? He, if you put the sunset in the middle of the day, we get distracted. But he puts it at the end of the day because that's when we finish our work and we can sit back and relax. And God's like, here, let me give you a little show. It's all good. I don't really know if that's true or not. Don't it's not biblical, okay? So <laughs> you can, that's just an aside. That's my own personal feelings. But removal of the reward from work, unfortunately, is one of the greatest evils that you can burden a man with. This is why certain things, and, and I'm not going to get real into this. I know that this is somewhat political, but things, things where you remove the consequence or you remove the benefit of an action is evil. God, God set it up so that actions have consequences. Work has reward right? This is where communism itself falls apart because you remove the two. You say, put in the work, and then the reward comes separately. No, it need, and if you've, if you've heard stories about people who lived behind the red curtain back when the, the USSR was a thing, and just people just stopped working. Nobody worked. Why? Because there was no reward for it. You got your pay anyway. You got, you got your ticket to the bread line anyway, so why bother? This is an evil, Instead, we need to recognize that work needs 
the reward that comes with it. God set it up that way, and it's evidenced in our scripture this morning. God offers the common grace of hard work even to unrepentant sinners. Now, when I say common grace, I do need to explain this because this is sort of a theological term. Common grace is the idea that God gives two types of grace. He gives a special grace and a common grace. That special grace is that which he gives to those who believe and trust in him. This is salvation, right? When we talk about salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, right? That's that special grace. It's given only to those who are the elect, right? But common grace is given to everyone. In other words, whether you are repentant or not, whether you're a sinner headed for hell or you are a, a saint headed for heaven, doesn't matter you receive this grace from God. And grace is that which is unearned, a blessing that is unearned from God. So when we talk about, let's say, sunsets. Sunsets, I don't know anybody who doesn't enjoy a, a beautiful sunset. Well, that's a, that's a common grace that God has given to everybody, regardless of where you're headed or what your life is like. The worst uh, inmate headed for death row still gets to enjoy a sunset, sunset every now and then. That's a common grace. They receive it even though it's absolutely not a part of anything that it has to do with where they're headed or how good they are. So this common grace also involves work. God has given mankind work. And guess what? Even if you don't know him, even if you're unrepentant, you get to enjoy that work brings a reward. Work brings satisfaction. That's a wonderful thing. And yet some will never even taste this satisfaction. Some reject it. And they reject it because they don't understand the value of it, right? The thief and the swindler, the get-rich-quick schemer, the children who are born into wealth who never learn to work. These I pity most above any of them. The person content to live solely off the government assistance and community programs. Okay, and, and I need you to know that, that when I say these things, I'm not calling out any particular person who has simply fallen on hard times, okay? But what I am saying is this, that they are not desiring to move beyond their situation, not desiring to work. I'm calling out the person who thinks that the world owes them just for existing. Unfortunately, many in our society are buying into this idea. The person who chooses to stand on the street corner with a sign instead of working, making that choice between one over the other, to provide for himself and his family has cheated himself out of an amazing gift by attempting to subvert the internal need to work and to earn and to live a life of purpose and instead has sloughed that responsibility off onto others. Again, I'm not calling out the person who is in tough times, but I am calling out the person who is in tough times and refuses to put any effort in, who has been given the ability to work by God in some way, and yet rejects that. That is not good. And these are hard concepts because we see a person who is in what we would consider a low place, and we have compassion, and that's good, and we are called to help the poor. We are called to help the needy, right? But a person who is capable of working and does not is not needy. That's, there's a difference there. And that's why we need to be discerning. In fact, this mentality, the mentality of, oh, I'm just going to let other people take care of me, should never exist among the Christian faith. In fact, there's some very harsh words from 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 10. It says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, 
brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked day and night, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. That's harsh. But that's a reality. This is the apostles coming in. This is Paul coming in saying, hey, you know what? I had the right to come in to your church and as an apostle, as the one who's bringing you this, to rely upon your, your good grace and your kindness to provide my needs. I had that right And yet, as an example, because I want you to know how important this is, I didn't. I paid for every last bit of food that I ate. And I worked hard the whole time I was there. As an example to you, among those who are believers, those who do not work should not eat. That's harsh. But there's a reason why. Because God gave work as a blessing. And God's work is important. Those who slough it off upon others are not seeking after God's purpose. Instead, they're seeking after their own purpose. Now, we talked about honoring God with your work. We should. Work can be hard, but we can honor God with it at any time, in every time, in every circumstance, even when it's stressful, when it's difficult. But there's another, a more happy side of this as well, that we should honor God with our joy. Now, there are many feasts of celebration in the Old Testament. Um, in particular, I wanted to look at one, Deuteronomy 16, 14, where it talks about how, we, how the, we're meant to feast. And sometimes we see these feasts and we see them as a little bit of like a, a strict, like you're supposed to do this and this and this and this. And while that did exist, here's what it said. Be joyful at your festival. You, your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants and the Levites, the foreigners, the fatherless and the widow who live in your towns. Be joyful. Look, you... You can't celebrate without being joyful, and these are meant to be festivals. But remember that these are festivals that God established, and he said, look, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take some time off. I want you to take a holiday. That's what the word holiday means, holy day. I want you to take a holiday, and I want you to set it aside for me as a remembrance of something that I have done, whether it's uh, the, the time that I took you out of Egypt or the time that you lived in the wilderness, in the tents, whatever it might be, I want you to take that as a time, as a remembrance of something that I, your, your God and your Savior has done for you, and I want you to be cheerful. I want you to be joyful. I want you to celebrate because you serve a God who can do such things. Your work is meaningful because this is the God who you work for. So be joyful in your celebration. All right? We're going to go out here in just a bit. This whole week even, when we talk about One Epic Week, this is not just a week to hang out and to chill and have fun. This is a week to celebrate. It's important for us to, to come together as a church body and celebrate and be cheerful and look to the blessings that God has given and say, what an amazing God we serve. We didn't deserve any of it. And yet God gave so much. Beyond even the salvation, we have even the blessings of the family and the friends around us, the congregation that we are a part of. We have the blessing of a sunset and a warm day. We have the blessing, so many blessings. We should celebrate. We need to come together and celebrate. Let's go get some food, tr- some food truck food and celebrate together. But let's honor God as we do it. Let's be joyful in our celebration. And there's celebrations that were meant to be enjoyed by all, not just the wealthy, 
In fact, it was commanded that the wealthy should share with the others. Not that the others are are mooching off of them, but rather that those who were in need would be taken care of. As as even those who are poorer work for the Lord, those who are wealthier work for the Lord. And together they, they celebrate. There is no distinction there anymore before the feet of Jesus. And then our own communion is an extension of one of these festivals. Did you know that? The Passover. Jesus brought about communion at the end of the Passover. And the Passover had several different cups that you were supposed to have a lot of meaning, as well as different things you were supposed to eat. And Jesus took the bread. He took the cup. Do these sound familiar to the passage that we're reading? He took the bread and he took the cup. He said, this is my body. This is my blood. And this as a part of a celebration, this as a part of a feast, this as a part, a moment of joy that they were celebrating. Oftentimes we come to communion, and I think many times rightly so, with a very solemn sense. And I, I think there's a reason for that, that we say, I need to come to God and remember the sacrifice that he paid. Yes, that is important. But did you know there are certain things about the cup, certain things about the bread? Yes, the breaking of the bread signifies how Jesus was broken. The cup, it was wine. And wine, if you've ever tasted wine before, is kind of bitter. In fact, I'm not a fan personally. I don't, I don't really like wine because it's really bitter. But there's also a sweetness to it. There is a sweetness because it comes from grapes and grapes are sweet and, and I like juice, okay? But these things are meant to go together. Yes, there's a bitterness. Yes, there's a brokenness. But you know what? Bread is fulfilling. It fills you up. I, I, don't, I went to a restaurant my wife and I were on, on vacation and we were at our anniversary and we went to this Italian restaurant and we sat down and they didn't put bread at the table. I was a little upset. It did come out eventually, okay? They brought it out. But at first, they didn't put it down in front of me. And I was like, this is upsetting because I want, I'm at an Italian restaurant and how dare they not put bread in front of me? And then they did and I felt bad about what I felt. So, but bread is filling, right? Don't fill up on bread. Why not? It's so good. Bread is good. And Jesus talks about he's the bread of life. He is filling. He is sustenance to us. And that cup, that cup, while there's a bitterness to it, there's a sweetness as well. Even the celebration that we have as Christians, that we take the communion, the bread and the cup, there is joy in it. Because it's not just that Jesus died. Yes, he did. But he rose to life too, guys. He did. He came back. And now we share in that life with him because of his sacrifice. So there is joy even in our own Christian festival of communion. This feast that we have comes from the very life of God. The joy of the Lord is our strength, it says in Nehemiah 8, 8 through 12. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and the teacher of the law and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them, this day is, the holy, is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. They'd been separated from understanding God's word for so long that they wept aloud, crying before God because they understood how far from him they were. But he says, do not weep. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some of those who have nothing prepared This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. 
Then all the people went away to eat and drink and send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. There is joy in what God has given us, both in the, the satisfaction that we can find in our work, in our toil, in our labor, and in our food, as well as in even God's word, which is a food to us. We feast upon his word, hopefully daily. And the last piece, learn to appreciate what God has given you, right? We, this, is, this is a through line of all of this. Yes, honor God with your work. Yes, honor God with your joy, because you should be honoring God with your whole life, appreciating what he's given to you. First, find contentedness in your position. Some are in high position, some are in low position. James, is, if you remember when we went through James, it talks about for those who are in a, a high position, they should be humbled by their, high, for, by their low position. But for those who are, are not in a high position, those who are in a low position, should be honored by their high position. He basically kind of turns things on their head, that there is honor to those who are in a low position, and there is humility that is for those who are in a high position because God sees them all. And he is above all. And the greatest wealth that we can accumulate is poverty compared to him. Ultimately, we need to honor God no matter what position we are in. Philippians 4, 12 through 13, Paul talks, and we all know this, for this passage, I know that it has been a, that I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. It's not about, you know, scoring the winning touchdown. You hear this from athletes a lot. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm going to jump off this building and fly. No, that's not how it works. Rather, it's I can do all, all the things that God has given me. I can accomplish anything that he has given me, any work. Why? Because he is my strength. Whether I am in poverty or I am in wealth, whether I am in uh, just worst health or the best health, it doesn't matter. The, the Lord is my strength. I can do all things. I can handle all of it. Not because I am handling it, but rather because he is handling it. He is working through me. And then to recognize what you've been given. John 10, 9 and 10. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is what you have been given if you are in Christ. You have been given life and life more abundant than anybody has ever experienced. In fact, you've been given a wisdom that even Solomon never, never fully understood because we understand who the Savior is and how he saves us. Solomon never fully perceived that. He never got to see Jesus and his work on the earth and his, his work on the cross and his resurrection. He never fully understood that because of his the limitations of where he was. But we can understand that. What an amazing blessing that we've been given. And now we can see that we are meant to be a part of the work of the kingdom of heaven. And how should we value that work? Matthew 13, 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all that he had and, brought that, and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and he bought it. What we have, what we have been given through Christ is of greater value than anything else in this world. And that's why when we look at this world, when we look at this passage and Solomon says, meaningless, it's all meaningless. Why? Because 
He's looking at it separated from God. He's looking at it, I, I tried to fulfill myself. I tried to give myself meaning, and it's all meaningless. But guess where the meaning is found? It's found in God. It's found in his salvation. At the end of Ecclesiastes, he sums everything up. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 through 14. Now all this has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. God will bring every deed into judgment including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. The law, those commands that he talks about, have been fulfilled by Jesus. The greatest command that now that we can obey is to love God with all of our heart, and through his forgiveness, we can find new life in him. That is where our meaning is found. That is now our purpose. And we can go out and say, yes, I enjoy. I enjoy what what God has given me, what he's blessed me with. Yes, I enjoy the sweet things in this life because God's blessed me with them. I don't seek them for their value, though. I am not out here to get as much wealth. I am not out here to get as much good food and drink. I am not out here to get as, as sensual relationships as I can get. That's not my purpose. But I can tell you, I can, I can appreciate the things that God has given me whether in a high state or in a low state, I can appreciate the food that I eat, whether it's the finest meal in the world or whether it's saltine crackers and cheese. That used to be my favorite snack. And I enjoyed it. But you know what? That's to the glory of God. He, he created these things that can go together so well. And I'd love sitting down and watching Wallace and Gromit and them going and getting cheese. And it's so good together. You don't know what that is? Sorry, you totally lost on you relationships I can enjoy, not because they will last into eternity, but rather because they are relationships that my God has given me, that he's allowed me to to be a part of, even for a short time. And in this sweet little time that I have, I can appreciate that God has given me work, that he has given me purpose, and that he has given me food and drink. And I can bow before him and say, thank you, Lord. I am grateful for all of it. and I want to serve you. I want to be joyful. I want to honor you. In all of it. So now we see, I, w- I wanted to wrap this up. How does this have to do with me? And I know I'm way over on time. Just a quick little, you know, where does this come from? Well, I, again, I loved Ecclesiastes even as a child. Even at, uh, I really found it when I was like in high school. But I just loved it because it's so straightforward. It doesn't mess around with reactionary feelings. It doesn't mess around with trying to make you feel really good. All right? I like that because I'm not that kind of person. I, I like work. I like working hard. And I, I earned that, or I learned that mentality from my own dad. And I, I've, I've got a, a picture, and it's really blurry, really grainy, but it's from a trip we were on. Sorry, this is from, my dad sent this over a cell phone, and so I got compressed. It looks a little goofy. But this is us. We were up, we were enjoying together. We were up in Alaska. It's a vacation that he brought me on. Really cool, right? It's a blessing. This is not something I could do on my own. <laughs> know that. But my dad decided to take me up. We went fishing. And we went to this really cool place, this cool restaurant, and you can see it's knickknacks and kitschy stuff all over. And we enjoyed a good meal together. And we enjoyed delicious drinks together. We, we toasted to God. We toasted to what God has given us. Every time that we came together for a meal, whatever, whatever we had, whether it was the, the, the water with the, you know, makes you, what do you put in it? that makes you, gives you extra hydration, a little hydration powder, right? Whether it's water with hydration powder or it's the best Coke that you've ever had at the end of the day, I love, I love it with a little bit of lime on the side. Mm, that just a Coca-Cola with lime. Let me tell you, sweet drink. 
this is my favorite, okay? Sorry. Whether, no matter what it was, in, and everything in between, we would toast. And we would toast to the Lord. We would toast to the blessings that he'd given us. Why? Because that's the right thing to do. When you pray a prayer of thanks before your meal, that's the right thing to do. Honor God in your celebration. Honor God in your work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have given us these blessings, blessings that we don't always fully appreciate. Sometimes we ignore them or we feel like there's just a lot of pain, a lot of struggle, and there is in this world. Help us to to be like Solomon, to recognize that that pain and that struggle comes from having no purpose and no meaning. Help us to find our purpose and our meaning in you. I pray for those who don't have that, who haven't sought you and who need you still, who need to find you. I pray that they will so that their lives will find fulfillment, will find contentedness, and will find meaning. I pray this in your name. Amen.